0: Hallelujah, Christ is risen. risen. Jesus speaks in riddles sometimes, doesn't he? So how about some riddles this morning? Here's a famous one. Maybe you've heard it before. The story goes that a sphinx asked it it of a king long ago. What is the creature that has one voice, but has four feet in the morning, two at noon, and three at night? I'm not going to give you the answer to that one. Here's another one. This thing, oh, this one was spoken by a creature deep underneath a mountain to a hobbit. This thing all things devours, binds beasts, trees, and flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones down into meal. It slays kings, it ruins town, and it beats high mountains down. You need a little time? The answer is time, of course. Time is the thing that all things devours. And that first riddle, I'll give you the answer now, about the creature that has one voice, walks on four, then on two, then on three, that's a man, isn't it? That's the mankind riddle. Man is the one who, over time, goes from crawling to walking to needing a little extra help, that third leg, the cane. These riddles, these riddles that have to do with time, aren't just told to us so that we can, I don't know, impress people when we tell them riddles. It's fun to do that from time to time, but the point of a riddle is for you to learn wisdom, isn't it? The point of those riddles is for you to consider, what does it mean to be a man? That's what the Sphinx wanted to teach old King Oedipus. The point of knowing a riddle is that somehow, way, you're supposed to gain wisdom by it. Recognizing that time devours all things has this effect on us. Recognizing our place in time, that time is like an ever-rolling stream that soon bears us all away, helps us not to get too high or to get too low, doesn't it? So the wise old grandfather tells his daughter, when the kid's not sleeping at night, and he says, Dad, what am I supposed to do? She says, Dad, what am I supposed to do? The wise old grandfather says, Don't worry, dear, everything is a phase. Everything is a phase. The bad times won't last forever. Just keep it up. The kids will learn to sleep, and you'll get your slumber, too. Everything is a phase. And the same wise old grandfather will tell his crying grandchildren that everything is a phase. And so all good things have to come to an end. You can't stay over at grandpa's house all, day, all the time. You have to go back to school, for everything is a phase. Don't get too low, he says to his daughter. Don't get too high, he says to his grandson. Recognize how time works. Learn to be a little more even keel. Learn that everything bad eventually fades away and that everything good also fades. Everything is a phase. There is wisdom in that, isn't there? There is wisdom in not being swept here or swept there by time's river. There is wisdom in recognizing that when we're little, we crawl, when we're a little older, we walk, and when we reach the ripe old age that the Lord has in store for us, we might just have to use a cane. There's wisdom in recognizing these things and not fighting against them. But Jesus also speaks of a riddle this morning. And what he speaks of is something even better than knowing that time sweeps all things away. For the riddle that Jesus gave to his disciples and the riddle that he puts before you this morning is answered in this. There is something that cannot be swept away. There is something that cannot fade into the mists of time. There is a thing that time itself can't devour even if it can devour the mountains. So do you know Jesus' riddle? That's our point. Who cares if you know the riddle of the Sphinx? Who cares if you can answer Gollum's questions? The question is, do you know what Jesus is speaking of? A little while, then a little while. A little while, now you see me. A little while, then you won't. A little while, you will all over again. The disciples were absolutely confused. And maybe you are today as well. Do you know what Jesus means by this little while? Hindsight really helps, doesn't it? But if you don't know the context of where Jesus was or when he said these things, it can still be just as confusing for us as it was for those who first heard him speak about a little while and a little while, a little while and a little while. So let me see if I can shed some light on Jesus' riddle, because Jesus isn't trying to trip you up. Jesus isn't trying to keep things secret. No, he speaks this way to burn it home in your mind all the more permanently. Jesus spoke these words originally on a Thursday night. He spoke them on the Thursday night that we know as Maundy Thursday. He was there with his disciples in the upper room, remember this? He had given them the washing of their feet. He had probably instituted at least the first part of the Lord's Supper, giving them his body under the form of bread. And then he spoke with them of what was about to take place. John's Gospel records all the words that Jesus spoke with his disciples there at the Last Supper. John's Gospel records in great detail and in moving, very moving language, how Jesus prepared his disciples for what was about to happen. And so we hear him saying, in a little while, you won't see me. And if you know the context, you can see exactly what Jesus is talking about, right? It's not a riddle. It's not hard to understand. In a little while, he's telling them, we're going to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas is going to hand me over, and I'm going to go willingly, and I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be handed over to Pontius Pilate. I am going to be hung up on the cross, and you won't see me. I'm going to be buried in a tomb. I'm going to be hidden in the darkness of the grave, and the stone will be rolled into place. In just a little while, disciples, you won't see me because I'm going to die. But in just a little while after that, you will see me. For in just a little while, after all these things take place, all these things that will grieve your hearts, all these things that will cause you weeping and lamentation, in just a little while, in three short days, in three short days, I will see you again. See, it's not that hard of a riddle, is it? What Jesus was telling his disciples in that upper room at that last meal that he had with them was what he had been telling them his whole ministry. This is the purpose that he was sent into the world to fulfill. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't somehow a big screw-up. This is precisely what he came to do. In just a little while, I will be taken from you, and in just a little while after that, you will see me again. And that's exactly what happened, by the way, isn't it? You know how it played out. You know how Jesus went to the cross. You know how he was crucified. You know how he really truly died, right? The spear in his side and the gushing out of the water and the blood. You know how he was buried in the tomb, how they made, a name, how they made his place, his tomb, among, in, a, in a tomb that had never before been used. You know how he was buried there. And the disciples, the disciples wept. You know how they met in a dark place. You know how they met behind closed doors because they were terrified. They were afraid that what had happened to Jesus was going to happen to them, that the Jews who had crucified their Lord were going to find them all out and do the same thing to them. But you also know how Jesus came and stood among them, right? You remember the story, don't you, how he stood among them and he showed them his hands and his side and he said, Look, boys, and see. I am not dead, but I live. And then when they saw the Lord, St. John's Gospel says, they rejoiced. They rejoiced to see the Lord. Well, all of them except for that one guy who missed out on it, right? Thomas. And so the Lord came back to them all over again. Thomas had to wait not just a little while. He had to wait a little more. But the next week, there they were again, locked up in fear, locked behind closed doors. And again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And Thomas, come over here and let me show you a thing. And when Jesus came to them again, after that little while, their sorrow became joy. Now, notice I didn't say that their sorrow faded away and was replaced by joy. It certainly was, right? Their sorrow, the death of the Lord Jesus, was swallowed up in joy. But Jesus says something even better than just your sorrows will be gone and you will have a new joy. Jesus said that the thing that caused you sorrow will turn into joy, didn't he? That's even better than just having sorrows for God. That's even better than having sorrows fade away. And this is the promise that Jesus gave to them and gives to you, that the things that now cause you so much pain and so much sorrow will somehow, by his mysterious power, turn into joy. Think of how it was for Jesus' disciples when Jesus appeared to them on that Easter night and when he came again the following Sunday or when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. Think, let's take Mary Magdalene, right? Why was she weeping? Why was she crying? What was causing her so much sadness? Because the tomb was empty, right? There's an empty tomb here. I'm supposed to be with Jesus, but the tomb is empty. If you have taken his body, tell me where it is so that I can have it. The thing that caused her so much sadness, the empty tomb, turned into her joy. Don't we celebrate that empty tomb now? Don't we celebrate the fact that Mary went to the tomb and found it completely and totally bare? Right? The burial garments were even folded up. That was the only thing that was inside there. The thing that caused her so much sadness turned into joy. And the same thing happened to the disciples, right? Why did they weep? Why did they lament? Why did they cry in that upper room? Why were they so sad and so afraid? Because Jesus had died, right? But once he came to them and showed him his hands and his side, when he showed them the marks of his identity, what did they do? They didn't say, oh, man, I'm so glad that death is no more. No, they learned to see in the death of Jesus the cause of their joy. The thing that caused them joy, do you see, didn't just fade out of their memory, it was transformed. Here is the riddle of Jesus. Here is what Jesus speaks to you this morning. That he has come that the things that cause you grief and sadness may be seen in a new light. That you would look on an empty tomb, that you would look on a man hanging on the cross and not see a reason to shake your head and weep and lament, but instead see the thing that caused the world's salvation. For we don't simply rejoice that that Jesus is risen, do we? We rejoice that the one who died for our sins is risen. The thing that caused those disciples so much pain and so much sadness, we call the supremely good thing. That Friday was not a bad day, it was not a sad day, it was a good day. For there your sins were done away with. Their death met its match. Their death was trampled down by death. See what I mean? Jesus turns He turns, he transforms, he changes sorrow into joy. And that's even better than just having sorrows fade away. Now, that's good and well for those disciples, isn't it? That's good and well for those who had Jesus taken from their sight and then got to see him again. But the question gnaws in our minds, doesn't it? What about me, Jesus? What about me now? Is my life just a little time of sorrow, or is it a long time? Some of you have been alive for a little bit. Some of you have been alive for a lot longer. Some of you have suffered a little bit of things, and some of you have suffered a great deal of things. And we want to know, don't we? Do these words of Jesus, does this riddle about a little while, and then again a little while, does it have anything to do with us now? And the answer is, of course For Jesus doesn't only speak to his disciples then, he speaks also to you now. And I want you to see in that life of that little beginning of the church, that life of those 12 disciples, that little time, those three days of sadness turned into permanent joy, I would have you see a paradigm, right? A paradigm laid down for all time and places. I want you to see your life, the life in this sad world that has its happinesses, that, that life in this world that has both the stream of joy and also the stream of sadness flowing through it, I want you to see how Jesus would have you view your life. Yes, there will be times of sadness, there will be times of grief, there will even be times of weeping and lamentation, but those things will not hold the day. Those things are just a little while. And in just a little while, those things that cause you so much sadness and so much grief now will turn to joy. In fact, in fact, they already have started to, right? Because just like Jesus' resurrection changed the view of the, of the disciples when they looked on his death, so also Jesus' resurrection and his spirit gives you new eyes so that you can see the things that cause grief and lamentation in your own life, and learn that they actually bring a permanent joy. Jesus gives us the illustration of a woman giving birth, right? So think of how it goes for the woman who is in labor. The very same thing that causes her sadness also causes her joy, right? The birth of a child. And as she's going through the hard part, as she's going through the labor, it would be very tempting. It would be very tempting for every mother to say, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth it at all. I read about this in a book, and my mom friends told me what to expect, but now that I'm going through it myself, I think I'd rather, you know, go back to how things used to be. I'd rather escape. And yet when she presses through, when she perseveres, when that little baby is born into the world, the mom doesn't say, oh man, that really wasn't worth it, does she? She sees her tribulation. She sees her sorrow in a new light. And the same thing that caused her sadness, the same thing that brought her pain, the birth of a child, now turns to joy. And so older women, older mothers, don't look back and say, oh, it was so bad, it was so hard, it was so terrible. They look back and they say, what a wonderful thing. I am so glad that it happened to me. What a wonderful thing. I am so glad that I persevered through it all. I am so glad that I have my children now. That transformative joy, that transformative life of a birth of a baby is how Jesus would have you view your present sufferings. That example of a mother who is in pain turned to joy because of a birth of a child is how our Lord wants us to see our own tribulations. For our Lord Jesus traces over his church of all times and places, his cross and his tomb. We have a cross-shaped life. Being a Christian does not mean just running around with a smile plastered over our face. Being a Christian does not mean that we have to pretend that somehow nothing ever hurts us, that we have to pretend that somehow nothing ever makes us sad, that we have to put on an appearance, put on a show, play a part. That's the life of a hypocrite. And the life of the disciples, the life of a Christian, the life of the church has the cross of Jesus traced over it. Isn't that what happens in holy baptism? What does Saint Paul say in Romans chapter six? Do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? You have been buried with Christ. There will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be things to endure in this world, but there will also be a resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united in a resurrection like his. And that same principle that Jesus accomplished our salvation, not by avoiding pain, but by enduring that pain, that same principle, the cross-shaped principle, applies to your life as well. For the things that now cause us pain are given to us by our Heavenly Father to make us grow. Isn't that how it happens? When you're going through some hardship, when you're going through some trouble, you don't say, all right, this is what I've always wanted to do. No, you endure it. And afterwards, what often happens, what often happens, dear friends, is you look back on those troubles, you look back on those hard times, and you say, look how this made me grow. Look how God took something away from me and gave me something better in its place. This is the life of Christian growth. It is what we call sanctification. But it comes, it comes not by avoiding the cross, but by going through the cross. Marriage teaches us this, doesn't it? In marriage, I have to die to myself. And let me tell you, that kind of hurts, right? That kind of hurts when I have to lay aside all my thoughts, all my dreams, all my desires, all the things that I want to do, and I have to think about someone else. Someone who I love deeply, yes, but someone else And then little children come along and they do the same thing to us, right? They cause us pain and weeping and lamentation because now, now I don't have to just think of one other person. Now I have to think of five other people. And they, well, they make a lot of demands on you. And that's not just true about being a husband or about being a father. This is the shape of the Christian life. Jesus gives us things that put to death ourself and that, hurts it causes pain and lamentation it causes sorrow there are sicknesses that come our way there are griefs that we endure and yet in those sicknesses and in those griefs our Lord is not robbing us of something he never steals our Lord is giving us something better in their place for that which causes us pain and sorrow turns to joy That's what every elderly married couple learns, hopefully. That's what every elderly married couple is to display in our congregation and to the world. The joy of life lived not for myself, but for someone else. Have you been around those kind of people? Have you been around an old marriage where husbands have learned to love their wives and where wives have learned to respect their husband? There is something palpable about it. There is something wonderful about it. There is something joyful about it. It is what Jesus says. Their sorrows, the things that caused sadness at the time, have turned into joy. When my plans, when my hopes, when my dreams evaporate, it teaches me something that I am not the Lord, that I don't stand over the river of time and direct its course. It teaches me that I am very small, but it also teaches me that there is one who is very big. There is a Lord who has crossed the river. There is a Lord who directs time, and he has given us a promise that the things that we endure now, the sufferings that we have in this present world, some of them, maybe many of them self-inflicted, will turn into joy. And they already have, right? It still waits to be seen the fullness of that joy, but you have begun to experience the joy, haven't you? You have begun to know what it means that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is king and not time. You have come to know what it means that your sins that bring so much sorrow and pain and sadness into your own life and the life of others around you have been forgiven. And that joy, dear friends, will never be taken away. That joy will never be taken away, no matter how long time goes on, no matter how fast it seems to sweep through your life. The things that Jesus has done, the things that Jesus says, the things that Jesus promises, the things that Jesus gives you, those things cannot be touched. Those things cannot be taken away, for they come to you because Jesus lives. And he lives with death behind him. He lives with death in the rearview mirror. It doesn't sweep him away. It doesn't pull him on. It doesn't push him downstream. The things that Jesus gives are permanent. They are forever things. And this is the true wisdom that you have come to know. That the answer to life's riddle, the little while that we endure in this world, will be swallowed up in what is permanent, what is eternal, what is forever. And what is permanent and eternal and forever is not the darkness, it is not the despair, it is not the sadness of the three days without Jesus. What is forever is life with Jesus. So take heart, dear friends. Do not despair. Do not weep and lament the passing of time. Do not be sad. Do not be sad that your life has its sorrows. In just a little while, They will turn to joy. And the things that are so hard right now, the things that are so difficult to endure, they will be your greatest victories. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.